The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day. did spit curl and all wow and that will make perfect sense in just a few minutes but folks first of all welcome to you michael sean lee thank you thank you and welcome to you as well johnny teflon thank you thank you it is a gala evening it's a a veritable who's who's who that we could fit 
in Big Man Radio Studios. It's, it's feeling rather festive around here tonight, yes. i got to say. It's yes, a, if, if, if you listen closely, you could probably isolate a, a couple conversations wow. uh, from some of our regular voices on the station. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, I'm looking at you, Professor <laughs> Snoop. Yes, we'll talk later. We'll talk later. So this oh is our magical 100th episode wow. of the Riffs and Rants podcast. Wow. Congratulations to you, sir, Thank for being you, part of it the whole you. time. Thank you. And, and, and you as well for being the mastermind behind this, uh, this little bit of uh, chaos and insanity. Dr. Frankenstein didn't have it so good. I'm I mean, let me you, tell you. Man. I'm telling you. <laughs> putting him to shame. Yep, putting so him to shame. So. This, uh, it's, it's so much going on in this episode. Wow. Here, here's yeah. the rundown. It's our, our 100th, which really for any podcast worth its weight and shit, it's, it's pretty monumentous, you yeah, know. The fact that we haven't killed each other in this two years it took to get yeah, to this point, that's defying, something. Defying conventional wisdom on that, I must say. Completely. Yes. And then in addition to the 100th episode, it's also our long overdue uh, third annual Big Boom Radio Hall of Fame uh, inductees. Nice. We have our own little... Hall of Fame because the one that they put out in Cleveland sucks. Isn't it though? Yeah, whatever happened to that? The legitimacy is gone. We are making gone. up for it. We're <laughs> balancing that out. Right. And just to, to recap again for the folks at home, this is how we do it, which I think is just a much better way. Absolutely. We break it up by four musical periods. We have the Bronze Age, which is the 50s and 60s. We have the Silver Age, which is primarily the 70s. We have the Golden Age, which is primarily the 80s. And then we've got the modern age, which is the 90s till, well, basically now. Yeah, pretty much. And each year, more or less, we will each get one artist or act that we put in for that time period. An inductee. An inductee. And uh, we tell a little bit about why we think they're worthy. Not that we're you know, waiting for somebody to tell us why they're not, because <laughs> obviously they are. It's still a very target-rich environment, because we've only had three of these. Yeah, you know? indeed, indeed. And uh, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, we agree mutually on the artist going in. This is true. And tonight's one of those nights, because I've already previewed what Michael is going to put in, and I think he made some great choices. Thank you, thank you. Um, now that, you know, Jane's addiction is out of the way, we should, we should never disagree <laughs> we, about this ever again. Did we induct a clash already? I think we did. We, we did. I think we did, yeah. So on that note, yes. let me circle back because, yes, the first tune of the day was a little ditty by Bill Haley and his Comets called 13 Women. That was some good fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a good tune. And they are my choice to be inducted uh, for the Bronze Age this year. A very good call. Yep. Thank you, crowd. Thank you, crowd and attendance. And uh, that little ditty in particular originally was released as a single and it, and it flopped. Did it really? It just went... You know, like it went over like a fart in church. <laughs> and then they re-released it um, not even a year later as yeah. the B-side of Rock Around the Clock. Oh, there we go. And then it caught on. Nice. And when I first heard this song, like I've commented before, I'm a big fan of all things Atomic Age. Yeah, didn't he make reference to a bomb? In the yeah, of yes. course, yeah. Nice. So the, the bomb, and he was the only man on the ground, and now he's... 13 women and the only man in town. Wow. And he puts in the work. They got little jobs. It's a That's lot of wink, wink, innuendo. Kind of like a best case scenario for you a, would think. a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> you, you would know? totally think. <laughs> and this tune has been covered by a lot of people. Um, a uh, early punk rock 
uh, outfit called the Renegades did a version of it. Nice. Uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, when they were trying to revive Swing in the 90s, they did a version they of it. They did a very fun version. I got to yes. say, I, I like that version. And there's a lot of different you know, Rockabilly versions because that's the original genre. But sure, sure. I picked a song because I liked it, and it wasn't the run-of-the-mill you know, Rock Around the Clock or yeah. Shake, Rattle, and Roll. And um, it speaks to the power of, of Bill Haley. And, and the reason I voted him and his comments in is because, uh, in my estimation, they're one of the original rock and roll, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, yeah. bands. Oh, yeah. Well, when they were doing it, they were breaking new ground. That was, that was new stuff. That was, I guess in this day and age, we'd call it alternative rock. Right. You know? <laughs> alternative to, like, there was no rock at the time. Exactly. You know? so and he were... was a, a country western crooner, actually. Yeah. Had been around for a while, had moderate success. And it wasn't until he had taken the already released uh, song Rocket 88 that, uh, what was it, uh, Ike Turner and Bill Bernstein, I think, the, the yeah, original? Like the quintessential original rock and roll right. tune, yeah. And, you know, and that's exactly what happened. He, he took it and a little um, more of a soulful version towards it. Yeah. And they said it was that, that mix of, of uh, the country sensibilities and the bluesy sound that created... Rock and roll. We have come to, yeah. Come so here's, here's Bill roll. Haley and his comments in, in, in the, you know, the dawn of, of rock and roll. Yeah. And, you know, Elvis, you know, yes, he had great musicians with him, but it was always just Elvis, yep. you know? Yep. And even with Buddy Holly, yes, he always had the credits, but it was really Buddy Holly up front. Yeah, it really was. But yet, Bill Haley and his comments, they had the matching outfits, they had the whole <laughs> shtick going. Yeah. And, you know, they were very quickly overshadowed by acts like Elvis and, and even the Beatles later on yeah. because they were more polished yeah. and they were edgier with their lyrics and whatnot. And, and Bill chose not to be, so he kind of faded off into obscurity. Yeah. But um, for their contributions and for setting that early blueprint for so many other bands to come, that's why I vote in uh, Bill Haley. Hey, good my call. Bronze Age a choice. good call. Thank you. Definitely a round of applause on that. Good stuff. See, good folks, stuff, and it's as easy as that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. I mean, God, the first yeah. They can you can argue that they were the first rock and roll band. And yeah. That's, that's a you know. Unfortunately, like many people who are the first at anything, you know, they didn't score the gold records. They didn't make mm -hmm. the big money, but they you know they really did lay a blueprint for everybody that came after them. Right. And uh, and yeah, phenomenal stuff. Good call. I 100% endorse that one, Johnny. Nice. Love to hear it. And now over to you, sir, for your bronze yes, entry. Yes, my bronze is this. This was an easy call. Um, just because we hadn't gotten around to it yet, but uh, for my Bronze Age uh, Big Boom Radio Hall of Fame inductee, I'm going with Bob Dylan. Yep, there you go. Arguably the greatest songwriter in the history of pop music. Yep. Um, Crowd likes it. Actually, got an extended wow, applause on that, that one. Right, Must be a lot right, of like, like hippies it. here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's. it's, it's, it's <laughs> Mixed funky bag. smell in the air here. Yeah, uh, yeah the hippies are <laughs> in town. But, uh, but, yeah, he had a cultural impact that was rivaled maybe by the Beatles and Elvis, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. as far as... And it's hard to put it in context, you know, so many years later, uh, how much he did affect pop culture, and just culture in general. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, you know, was the epitome of an influencer and a groundbreaker. And like I said, this was an obvious call. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he belongs in the Big Boom Radio Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The anything you've got Hall of Fame, you know, <laughs> Bob is there, and uh, especially the counterculture yeah, Hall of Fame, particularly that. Yeah, he was yeah. doing stuff that 
you know, that was it was pretty revolutionary back yeah. in the day. Jay Edgar had a file on him because yeah, oh, yeah. he's getting those kids whipped you, up into a frenzy. Absolutely, you know, you know, you've graduated when sure. Jay Edgar started a, started the file on you. And what's amazing is he is still performing to this day. Yes, sixty years in to his career, and he's as a matter of fact, I think he's touring this summer, hmm. which is just phenomenal. And I mean, this is a guy who has won uh, a, a Grammy award, he's won a Nobel Prize, he's won an Oscar. I mean, you name it, Bob. Bob won it, you right, know, right. and like I said, he's still going, and uh, just a just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent, uh, the likes of which we'll probably not see again. Right. Well, I can agree with that. I'll put you on the spot now because I know that you uh, were going to forego this time period for another jam for one of the other time periods that you were going to play for us. So, in, in lieu of playing a Bob Dylan song, what is your favorite Bob Dylan song? Wow, that's right. that is such a difficult, <laughs> difficult call. Um, but I have a handful of Bob Dylan. One of the things, I, I once upon a time was a musician in Los Angeles. And uh, one of the great things about Bob Dylan when you're starting out playing an instrument, particularly playing guitar, is if you can play three chords, you can pretty much play half of Bob's catalog, <laughs> you know, which is about 1,500 songs right. and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a handful of uh, great ones. Uh, it's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Is mm-hmm. an amazing, amazing song, and and you get a thorough rush, you know, to be able to play it. Subterranean homesick blues, uh, revolutionary song. But then again, you know, just recently the song he won an Oscar for, "Times Have Changed." Mm-hmm. You know, that was like a, a flashback to the biting, critical, cynical Bob Dylan of the 1960s. So. I mean, you talk about a guy with a catalog like that. It's hard to narrow down your favorite. It's hard to narrow down your favorite ten Bob Dylan songs, right? You know, because he's just that kind of artist. I just thought I was due to throw you a zinger like that. Oh, I appreciate that, John. Now, for me and my uh, my my Johnny Teflon DJ persona, all right, I would say that my favorite Bob Dylan song is also some really really good baby making music. Yeah, Lay Lady Lay. Oh. Oh, yeah. from, from the Nashville album. Yes, yep. yes. He was working with Johnny Cash on that stuff. Was he really? Yes, that, he was. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was... he was Whole different side of him on that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was, that was the, the, the absolute brilliance of Bob Dylan. There's so many different characters, so many different faces over mm-hmm. the years. I mean, you know, people, people generally regard, like, David Bowie as the chameleon. But he got nothing on Bob Dylan. Yeah. Nothing on and Bob. And whenever people would throw out uh, to me, like, their favorite Clapton song, yeah. they would say, oh, you look wonderful tonight. It's a no-brainer. It's romantic. Blah, blah, blah. I would always counterpunch with Lay, Lady Lay. To Can't me, that wrong. just seems like a much more intimate kind of yeah. tune. Hey, you don't <laughs> think of Bob Dylan in intimate songs and that right, kind of thing, right. but no, the argument is there. That was a phenomenal, like, groovy getting down to it song, so... Nice. Johnny has a favorite Bob Dylan tune. I'm, See, I'm who'd have thunk it, right? I'm impressed. <laughs> All right. Well, we're moving right along. What are we going into? The Silver Age here? We are going into the Silver Age. And nice. I'll tell you what, we'll do a, uh, a pivot and a turn because I know that you are going to play uh, your, one of your Silver Age choices. Yeah. So rather than me go again, why don't you follow up and uh, give us an intro to a song and then when we come back, you can talk about this pick of yours. All right. Well, the, 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 the Silver Age... A very, very difficult call. What is that, uh, 71 to 80, I think? Uh, approximately. So yeah. much good, good music. So much. In, in that time frame. For the people playing at home, the most diff- difficult call from this point onward... It really is. ...is that Silver Age. It really <laughs> is, because, again, there's just a phenomenal, phenomenal breadth of talent to choose from. But if I'm going to highlight, I guess, or point out or single out anybody, any one act... During that era, I'm gonna go with the Ramones. Nice. You know, as far as like a band that was, was 
not only influential, but mm -hmm. breaking new ground. Uh, I mean, these guys almost single-handedly started the punk movement in London. You know, they were on the forefront of the punk movement in New York, of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was so funny because the 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 basic basis of their sound evolved because they really couldn't play their instruments. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a trend you've seen in a lot of punk bands that yeah, came afterwards. Exactly. You know, and so many so many punk bands afterwards, and so many musicians in general will cite the Ramones as the band that helped them get over the idea that they really couldn't play their instruments well. You know, it was you just had to have some heart, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and some good and matching words. outfits, that's yeah, very important. Outfits, <laughs> definitely. Um, and you could do it. And that was that was the effect that the Ramones really had on music. And, you know, they, I mean, I mean, it's hard to, again, you know, properly context the impact that they had on every band that came after them. Right. You know, I mean, just, just heavily influential. And I mean, when it comes down to making our, making our picks for the Big Boom Radio Hall of Fame, one of the things that I always use as a barometer is, who did you influence? Mm -hmm. You know, and... These guys influenced bands right up until, you know, the grunge era of the 1990s. You right. know, you talk about bands like Pearl Jam and, and Nirvana. We'll cite the Ramones as heavy-duty influences on them and what they did mm -hmm. and how they approached their music, you know? It's just, it, like I said, it's hard to put in context how big an impact these guys truly had on music. Yeah, and it's a no-brainer. It's an excellent choice. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, which song are you going to play for us from their catalog? Uh, you know, it's, it's, again, very, very difficult to narrow it down to just one song. Um, you know, I could reel off probably ten Ramones tunes that, that were just absolutely phenomenal. And I know they're a big, big, uh, big uh, favorite of Johnny's because I don't think the Ramones ever did a song <laughs> longer than three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I like to hit it and quit it, baby. Yeah, you know, the, the Ramones' <laughs> early sets consisted of, you know, 20 songs, and they play them in about 17 minutes, and then they were out I think they that. even had one song that just came up on stage and said, Oi! And that was it. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Didi counted off. One, two, three, four. Oi! Thank you. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we're going to go with a Ramones tune, then damn it, I'm going with Sheena is a punk rocker. Nice. Excellent choice. The crowd loves it. I love it. We're going to spin this tune for you, folks, and we'll be right back in a few minutes with some more things and stuff. Well, if the kids are all hopped up and ready to go, they're ready to go now. They got that stuff, but they're going to the discotheque to go go. Yeah. 
So damn short. Never. <laughs> it's like Jello. There's always room for more Ramones. Yeah. What was that? Like two minutes and thirty seconds or something? I think it's three on the on the, the head. Ah, it was one yeah. of their one of their longer songs. Right. One of their opus tunes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like the Iliad. So. <laughs> wow. Talk about a reference that's going right over everyone's head. <laughs> but yeah, for those of us who weren't uh, paying attention, that was uh, Sheena is a punk rocker. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the one and only Ramones. That was off their 1977 album, Rocket to Russia. That was actually their third album. Um, and I could be wrong on this, but I think there were 27 songs on that album and it lasted wow. about two, 20 minutes. That is machine gun rock right there. Are, oh, Jesus, that is just the Ramones. <laughs> Talk about a style yep. you know, that they patented that, that so many people afterwards you know, tried to follow. But uh, yeah, just an amazing, groundbreaking band in that respect. And you know, and, and not really intentionally. Like I said, they went that route because they couldn't really play their instruments that well. Amazing. You know? Yep. But that was one of those, uh, one of those things. They were all uh, seriously into the, uh, like, uh, what's his name? The Spectre songs of the 1950s, mm-hmm. the girl mm-hmm. bands and whatnot. And that was, like, one of the first songs that really kind of gave a nod to that particular influence. Right. And, uh, and, yeah, they eventually would go on to work with Phil Spector at one point. And um, not get shot. Uh, but just barely, as apparently Phil did pull a gun on him, you know. But if you if you're working with Phil Spector and he doesn't pull a gun on you, you feel jilted. Yeah, yeah you haven't really yeah. haven't really experienced the working with Phil Spector <laughs> thing, you know. But it's his uh, way of showing feelings. Yes, you know. But yeah, Ramones, Good call. Russia, Good Gina, call. Is a punk rocker. Hey, is that Connor? Hey, Connor. Oh, yep, there he is. <laughs> Oh dear God! What is one that? of the Ooh, local drinking. luminaries? Oh, well, who knows, goodness. man? Okay. All I know, I saw the the liquor tab for the uh, for those in attendance, <laughs> and I'll be paying that off for a while. Yeah. All oh, right. So moving fun. right along. Yeah, we're jumping into the golden age now. Or no, wait a minute. I got my silver. Silver age. Yeah, that's oh we yes. Flipped it around is, and everybody. This is a I, another another pick that I seriously seriously endorse. Uh, tell us, Johnny. Well, it's that magical time where you got to start bringing in some of the heavyweights. Got to do it. Or the bosses of the world. Oh. So, yes, clearly and happily, uh, I'm using my silver pick this go-round on Mr. Bruce Springsteen. Nice. Yes, of course, the crowd loves that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wow, what, where do you start, you know? That's a good question. A musician's musician. Yeah. Started with nothing, and I think you were telling me uh, recently he's just sold his catalog for something like uh, next to a billion dollars or something. Of a billion dollars. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, try and wrap your head around that one. Right, right. And it's, um, you know, on and off again, I, I've been a Springsteen fan. Never like true blue died in the wool Springsteen fan. Yeah. Like a lot of my contemporaries from New Jersey sure. are. Yeah. Uh, I, I will go on a limb and say I like him better than Bon Jovi. Hello. <laughs> But um, I think what I, might, I like most about Springsteen, uh, and some would argue this point, yeah. and use the vicious nickname Bruce Can't Singsteen, Ooh. but I always admired his versatility. Yeah. Because, yeah, when it's time to roar and rock, he does, yeah. and when it's time to go acoustic and tell a story, he does that as well. Yeah. And this is why I've picked, um, actually, what's going to be our next gem. All right. Because for me, uh, out of all the 
Springsteen songs that I like. This one was a perfect marriage of the storyteller and the rocker. Nice. Okay, and I probably would have liked to play Rosalita if it wasn't so <laughs> damn long, because that's the kind of song that's just got everything you need in a rock tune. And so, in lieu of that, I went with um, probably my next favorite. 10th Avenue Freeze Out. All right. There we go. Which really, in effect, tells the story of the, the band. band. Right. Nice. So I, I nice. could go along with that. And it's, uh, I think I said to you once, it was like, if Billy Joel was in a better mood <laughs> when he wrote Piano Man, he would have wrote 10th Avenue Freeze Out. There we go. You know, because yep. it's just, it's fun. It's yep. a story. Yep. A hell of so, a call. A hell of a call. Let's jump right back into another gem with this little ditty. And we'll be back in a couple more minutes with some more things and stuff and nominees. I picked that song, you know, it's, 
it, it's one of those common phrases where people say, uh, I've, I've set the bar, right. or this reaches the bar, or yeah. this you know, resets the bar, whatever. Right. For me, it's like that, but it's different, because my bar um, is more like a smoky sub-basement bar, <laughs> where we've all been, admit it, we've all been nice. in one of those places. Sometimes Absolutely. it's a VFW, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a, the shithole on the Lower East Side. It's both. (laughs) But when a song comes on and makes you want to do several things, drink more of whatever you're already drinking, drink something stronger than whatever it is you're already drinking, uh, makes the person next to you just that much better looking, or a a, a mixture of all of the above, that meets Johnny's smoky (laughs) sub-basement bar bar. Nice. And that's what got 10th Avenue Freeze out in, just easily. Well, it's just, it's one of those so- songs where you hear the opening chords, and the whole room goes, ah, yeah, yes. Right? You know? And then it's, it's easy to sing along to. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, if you ask the older generation, you know, what, was, what made a good rock and roll song, and they would always say the same thing, something you could dance to. There you go. Okay? Yep. You and I, fortunately, <laughs> passed that, you know, well, it makes a good song, something you can jam out to, which can be just about anything. That, that's like as, as vague as vague gets. Yeah, no doubt. But it certainly ain't about dancing. Shit, you dance after the songs we play in this station. It look like a, something from like a, a, yeah, a, you, a Peanuts you'll musical. Hurt, you'll hurt yourself. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so love me some Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. Hell tells yeah. the story of the band, and it's just rocking. And again, thank you so much, Bruce Springsteen. Indeed. You easily deserve a place in our little corner of the universe, our little rock and roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to jump ahead right into my, well, not really jump ahead, but now we're at the Golden Age. But I'll go ahead because I know that you've got a spectacular gem waiting for your pick. So, my Golden Age pick, again, this one was was easy for me because I tend to think of the Golden golden Age as primarily the 80s. Yep. Again, target-rich environment. Yeah, 81 to 90, I believe, is our Golden Age. Right, right. But here's the thing, even though it's a target-rich environment of fantastic music, okay, unlike that little other Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame in Cleveland, we're still about rock and roll, not yeah. just, was it good? Yeah, put it in. Yeah. Or are we going to get Which people Which sounds to, people like my prom night, now that yeah. I think about it. <laughs> but uh, in this oh, case, okay. I went with, with a band that was really a, a huge part of the soundtrack of, of my 80s or my my golden age, yeah. and that would be that little outfit from Australia. No, not ACDC. In excess. Here we go. Yeah, the crowd likes that one. And um, you know, I I've showcased In Excess on the Classic Rock Showcase, and actually finished today uh, Volume Two, which will get played soon. Okay. And for me, I loved their the craftsmanship of their music, yep. their ability to evolve, and to kind of operate in their own little stratosphere yeah. because they didn't sound like anybody else and they didn't care you know yeah. Yeah. and keep in mind in a lot of ways they're going right up against modern successful rock groups of the 80s let's say some yeah. of which had a, had a renaissance but yeah. let's say they're going uh, head to toe with U2 yeah. they're going head to toe with Aerosmith yeah. Fleetwood Mac right and Van Halen was still like a presence but yeah that's a little harder than them Fleetwood Mac's probably a better comparison yeah. but you know a lot of these fantastic groups but yet NXS didn't really have to compete with anybody. Maybe it's because they were a larger band and yeah. could incorporate, um, you know, the organs and the horns and stuff like that. Yeah. It was their unrivaled energy, and it was a certain—I don't know. You know, we're Americans; we like foreign stuff. <laughs> and even though yeah. Australia is nothing more than British Texas, it's, th- it's still a foreign country. 
and it's got that charm oh, yeah. to well, it. When we were talking about this pre-show, I just happened to stumble over the, uh, the video for uh, one of their first, it may have been their first international hit, uh, Change. Mm-hmm. And like I, like I was saying, you know, it or don't a, change. Don't change. Don't, yeah, change. don't yep. change the earth. Yeah, it it amazed me how young they were. Yeah, you know, I mean, Michael Hutchins looks like he's about seventeen, maybe eighteen in that video. Yep. And it's just stunning how uh, successful those guys were on an international level. Yeah. You know, so early on in their careers. From a humble beginnings, actually, that they formed their group in '77. Wow. And it was uh, high school friends. Yeah. And they, they really kind of had success right out of the gate on a local. It's, it's funny saying local because they have their own continent. Right. But, you know, <laughs> on a local level. And once they, they blew up, of course, first they hit Great Britain and they're jumping all over the charts there. Yeah. They had really not as much success on the American charts, per se, as you would think, considering how much airplay they got yeah. in the in the... Well, at really, even the golden age of MTV, right. like the second wave of videos, they were fine-tuning it and whatnot. Yeah. And I heard a great story just the other day about um, their video for Devil Inside, okay. which the band hated. They did it on a lark <laughs> oh, really? because they were already in L.A. Yeah. for some awards ceremony or something. They decided to shoot the video there, and the video was directed by none other than Joel Schumacher of... Joel Schumacher kills the Batman franchise. No kidding. Yes. Oh, wow. And because of his normal techniques of jumping around and he splashes a color, the band looked at it and was like, this is shit. We didn't, we didn't like this at all. But it was in a can and right. it got airplay and it was one of their most popular videos. Wow. Um, yeah, I found it immensely entertaining <laughs> just to hear that. So before he was killing the Cape Crusader, he was destroying rock band's hopes and dreams. Yeah, he took a, took a swing in NXS. Very good. Very good. <laughs> So yeah, so that was my uh, my easy choice for my golden age. I still listen to them to this day. So many hits. Um, to turn you know the question I threw at you back on me, I would say probably, wow, probably my favorite NXX song, uh, which I think we used on an episode of the podcast once. Uh, this time, okay. This time will be the last time, and we'll fight like this. Yep. Um, and we even listened one time to a, a cover Bruce Springsteen had done of that nice. uh, during one of his concerts down in Australia. So it's a nice, nice little, nice little circle. And yeah. It's it's easy to forget, you know, given how much time has passed, how big these guys were in the yeah. 80s. I mean, they really hit a height. That Until the untimely demise of, of Michael Hutchins under questionable circumstances. To say the least. Some people even point the finger at Noel Gallagher. <laughs> Which I don't know how, considering it seems to be an open and shut case of autoerotic yeah. asphyxiation. Yeah, bit but of a whatever. stretch there. Bit of know, a stretch. Whatever. But, yeah. And if you ever get a chance, folks, speaking of, again, again, Joel Schumacher, um, the Batman Forever soundtrack has a uh, solo Michael Hutchins performance doing Iggy Pop's classic, uh, The Passenger. Nice. Which is haunting, to say the least. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Wow. Yeah, definitely go looking for that one after the yep. show. And that's right. Speaking of haunting, did you see uh, Sir Nigel over there in the corner? That, was that Nigel? It is. <laughs> that didn't we didn't like recognize him. him without the cravat. Hi, I know. Right, so I'm saying to myself, that's either. Yeah, yeah wave over. There he is. Hey, Nigel. Um, I thought it was either Sir Nigel or a bad Austin Powers impersonator. I was going to say. <laughs> goodness. We'll have to catch a word with him later on. Yeah, yeah. But I digress. It. It's time for you, sir, and your yeah. Golden Age pick for All the right. Big Radio Hall of Fame. All right. Uh, again, you know, like you were saying, this this uh, you know a wealth of music and a wealth of bands uh, to mine during that era 
Uh, it was an interesting era for me. That was my, my time in high school. You know, and so many of these bands we talk about from that era were like my high school soundtrack. And to mm-hmm. some degree, you know, when I was in college for my first couple of years. And, uh, and this band falls right into that category. It's just part of that soundtrack. And, uh, you know, pretty, pretty obvious choice in, in, in respect to what we've been talking about. Uh, I'm going to go with U2. Uh, as call. my inductee. Not entirely unexpected. Yep, crowd likes it. I like it. For the Big Boom Radio Hall of Fame, I no doubt think they've more than earned it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, U2 is funny because like a lot of the lot of the acts that we're talking about, there were different eras mm-hmm. of this band. There was the U2 of the 80s, the U2 of the 90s, uh, on and on and on. I mean, these guys, you know, like in excess, international monsters, mm-hmm. uh, to the best of everyone's estimation, U2 has sold over 150 million albums worldwide, which is absolutely stunning. It's a lot of plastic. Trying to, yeah, trying to wrap your brain around it. They've, they've won 22 Grammys, mm. which is more than any other act. Right. Um, and yeah, just the soundtrack, there's so many, so many things, so many different experiences. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about the uh, video they shot for, what was it, the... Uh, Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Or uh, the streets have no name. Streets have, yeah, in LA. I was living in LA at the time, and uh, and again, it's it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around it because we're so removed from it, you know, 30 years on. Mm-hmm. But uh, but these guys like stopped the entire city of LA from moving on that day because right. they were shooting a <laughs> rooftop video. I love the Beatles, you know. Yep. And uh, and I just I have this very distinct memory of uh, local radio stations just begging people not to go downtown, mm-hmm. you know, because there were so many people downtown already that they ground the city to a halt, you know. And this was, of course, during the Joshua Tree era, where U2 arguably was the biggest band in the world. Yeah, at do no wrong. Yeah, and just, just, uh, just a, a stunning presence, you know, mm-hmm. all the way around. And, uh, you know, like a lot of these other bands that we're talking about, they're still around. They're right. still kicking. They're still going out. They're still touring. They're still playing. And they're still influencing people. Mm-hmm. You know. And if you want to talk about a band that, that influenced people both musically and ethically, that would be you too. And speaking of ethics, I was, I was interested to see if you were going to touch on that. Yeah. Do you think, there's no wrong answer here, no right answer. <laughs> In your opinion, do you think you 2 would have been as big as they are if it was based solely on their musical merits and not the upfront uh, involvement that they've had with so many causes worldwide and bringing recognition to these, these causes? A good question. And, and, you know, the activism primarily with Bono uh, surely didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but no, the music, uh, I think, with, with U2 is the beginning and the end. It's the be-all. It's just they're, they're constant... Uh, evolution, mm. you know, and change. I mean, the, the, the U2 of the boy era, of the October era, is a completely different band than the U2 of the Octung Baby era. Gotcha. And I do tend to think it was, you know, them constantly evolving, constantly changing, constantly uh, striving for the next plateau mm-hmm. was what really made U2 and makes U2, you know, the global superpower that they are. Um, and again, you know, with, with the ethics thing, I think that's just, uh, to a great extent, uh, particularly with Bono, um, doing what you can do if you're given that amount of influence, mm-hmm. you know, making it a positive thing. You know, Bono is by no means an angel. I mean, 
he's, he's known to be uh, a man about town, so to speak, and was back then and still is today, um, which makes him that much more interesting a character to me. Um, but yeah, he's just an example of, of what you can do when you're given that kind of influence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tend to think that they'd be just as big, you know, today as they, they have been, even if he hadn't been an activist. As a matter of fact, I think, if I recall uh, stories I've heard about you 2 and God knows there's plenty of them given how long they've been around, that at one point the band sat him down and said, hey, you know, are you going to be in the band or are you going to be an activist? You've got to mm-hmm. kind of choose between the two. Right. You know, because, you know, being you 2 was a pretty demanding thing in and of itself, never mind all these you know, causes that Bono was taking on. Mm. And it kind of bothered the rest of the band. They were like, hey, man, you know, are you in the band or not? Right. Um, so, you know, in answer to your question, yeah, I tend to think just musically they would, they'd be as big as they were today, even if he wasn't the activist that he is. You know? and, uh, and, yeah, you can't, can't really uh, underestimate the impact that U2 has had on all the bands that have come after them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, again, that's a big barometer to me of what goes into our Hall of Fame, what goes into the Big Boom Radio Hall of Fame is who did you influence? Right. You know, and in what way? And, uh, and you know, they've been as much an influence as anybody. So, Gotcha. Yes. A little long-winded explanation. In no, no, that was perfect. Question. That's what I wanted to know. But, uh, but I believe, Johnny, you have uh, given me the chance to spin yet another gem tonight. Yes. Uh, and I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you very much. Um, this song in particular has is, is always been a, a favorite of mine. Uh, this was actually the fourth single, if you can wrap your brain around that idea, the fourth single off the Joshua Tree album. Um, it's amazing that you know any band could have four singles mm-hmm. off of one album, but that was how big the Joshua Tree album was. Uh, this is a song called In God's Country. Nice choice. Thank you. What do you say? Cue it up for the good folks at home. Let's do it. All right. Enjoy this, folks. And we'll be back in a few more minutes with some more things and stuff.
little feel-good U2 there. As nice. if there is such a thing. I know, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, it's uh, uncharacteristically uh, buoyant yeah, for them. Yeah, very upbeat, very jaunty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there, were, there was a lot of heavy stuff on Joshua Tree, so they right, needed, right. needed something that was buoyant and, and up-tempo and whatnot. And that's the thing, and you're, and you're right to say off of Joshua Tree, because they did, of course, have elevation yep. um, and even better than the real thing. They, yep. they have the uplifting songs. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was, I mean... The album was a monster, and uh, and funnily enough, you can do this if you're you too. That that song in God's Country was actually recorded at uh, at the Edge's home studio, which was in the basement of his house. Hmm. You know, so when you get to be that that level, when you get right. to be you too, you get to do shit like that, which is kind of <laughs> cool. You know, but uh, but yeah, you you can't say enough about the Joshua Tree album. What a monster that was. Yeah, totally. That's, again, one of those albums that you'll find on every jukebox and every gin joint in the world. There you go. There you go. So moving right along, Johnny. Ooh, at a blistering pace. Yes. Blistering pace. It's time for our respective modern age entrance. Let us induct. Oof, induct away. And I'll go first because I believe we're going to have another, another gem here thrown you know, in there. You know, we're just rolling with the gems today. Rolling with the gems I'm, today. I'm having fun. Well, for me, it's, um, you know, the modern age is going to continue to be one of the uh, the difficult ones. Yeah. Because it's not even so much um, what they've done so far. It's also what we intend for them to do in the future. Right. And the fact that inevitably they're going to be handed the proverbial baton for rock and roll into the future quite literally so it's it's like i said it's a mixed bag and because these things are still so new and we haven't in most cases seen their entire body of work we hope they're still going to be as good as they are right now and they don't like fall off the edge yeah really some of them though have stopped like i think both of our choices fall into this (laughs) because we lost our lead singers yeah uh well for me it's going to be the stone temple pilots nice right everybody loves them yep and it's uh, amongst, and I hate to throw this word around, grunge, but amongst the uh, primarily grunge 90s bands, right. I like Stone Temple Pilots the best because I tend to listen to music when I'm in a good mood or yeah. when I'm partying or whatever. Sure. And that would, for me, be the band that I would wish to go to Las Vegas with for a week. Nice. Not Pearl Jam because, you know, they'd be a little preachy. <laughs> uh, not Nirvana because I don't need to know my place in the universe, Kurt. Yikes. But yet, you know, oh, look, uh, that would be a good time with Scott Weiland. Oh, <laughs> God man. rest his soul. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, just, again... Would be a fun ass time. The wardrobe choices alone would, would yeah, be epic. Yeah, Scott was a fashion archetype. He truly yep. was. And as you've uh, commented many times, it's it's one of those bands that evolved. Yeah. During the course of, of their tenure atop the mountain of rock and roll, yep. uh, which is so so commendable. You know, just to not get satisfied with boom, this is right. us, this is what we do. Well, that's the def- defin- or the difference I should say between a musician and an artist. Right. You know, if you look at uh, Stone Temple's very first album, and then you look at their third or fourth album. I believe the third album was Tiny Music, mm-hmm. uh, Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop. Doesn't even compare to their initial release. Right. You know, like you said, they were definitely part of that whole grunge thing yep. that really had a short, a lot shorter time span than people realize. That was only a thing from maybe late 91 to 94, 95 tops. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Stone Temple's first album definitely falls into that, but that's probably their only album. Yeah. That falls into that that definition, you know. And then, the, like the, the whimsicality of putting the hidden track on, I think it was purple. Yeah. And 
like you didn't even know at the time when I was telling you about that. I'm like, you know, that, that hidden song is the name is escaping. You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Hidden song. You know, yep. Yep. play it backwards. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's just a non credited song at the end of the album. Yeah. And it's just fun. It sings about nothing. It's like a lounge tune, kind of. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a band that didn't take themselves too seriously mm-hmm. and was just epic in, in their little corner of the universe. Very much you know? so. Very much so. So for me, yeah, that was an easy one because, uh, yeah, it was one of those things that when the CD or the cassette was in the car, it would stay there for a while and yep. just keep getting yep. played. Oh, yeah. Tiny Music still finds its way into my CD player uh, every now and again. And, uh, yeah, once it's on, it, it usually doesn't doesn't go off for a while. Gotcha. You know, cause it yep. just, yeah, it brings you back to that time. It truly does. So on a similar note, Good your stuff. modern uh, selection is going to be none other than... Go on and say the words, you fucking wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did well, Sir Niles just heckle me? I think he just heckled me. I think he did. Son I of think a... he... What? Oh, what is he... Just don't oh even look goodness. at them. Look yeah. at them all. They're all looking at us like, Ugh. No, there's no more food. You jackals. My goodness. Ugh. All right. Back to the, <laughs> the modern age. <laughs> I think the lunatics are now running the asylum. Right? I, I, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my modern age choice, you know, very, very much falls into uh, the pantheon of what you've just been talking about. And... and band I'm talking about is Soundgarden. Gotcha. And uh, just, it's hard to uh, qualify or quantify the impact of Chris Cornell's voice. Right. You know, as far as being part of the soundtrack of an era. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, I mean, still to this day gives me chills to listen to that guy sing. You know, and, and unfortunately we did lose Chris back in 2017. Uh, tragically, it's, it's unfortunate that you know, so many of the guys from that era that, that really, really impacted and, and yeah. quite honestly changed the world. Guys like Kurt Cobain. Um, Eddie Vedder better watch his ass. Yeah, seriously. Scott <laughs> Weiland. But, uh, but you think 1990s, particularly early 1990s, and you think of the sound of that era. And mm-hmm. Chris Cornell's voice, and Chris Cornell is very much a part of it. You know, they came out of Seattle. They actually got together as a band in 1984, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, eventually... You know, eight years after the fact, became one of the handful of bands, you know, along with Nirvana, along with Pearl Jam, along with Alice in Chains, that really defined the quote-unquote grunge era. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they were the first—I think they were the first of the grunge bands that were signed to Sub Pop, which mm-hmm. was a, a, a very pivotal uh, record label in that era and a very big part of that sound launching. Um, and a lot of people don't realize this, but Soundgarden's debut album, Ultra Mega OK. <laughs> Oh, great title. Great album. Names all yeah. of them. Was, was nominated for a Grammy Award in 1990. Wow. And this was before the whole grunge thing blew up. Uh-huh. You know, but they were very much on the scene. They were very much players. And, uh, and yeah, you know, the impact that this band had, they didn't necessarily have, you know, the great sales numbers that a lot of the other bands had, though they, they sold their fair share of albums around the world. Mm-hmm. But just as far as being uh, defining of an era, you know, it really, really... Really good with Soundgarden and, like I said, Chris Cornell in particular, and uh, and yeah, you know, he's he's the kind of guy you miss, you know, pretty much every time you play play good music. Yeah, yeah, I hear you on that one. So, would you pick uh, as a gem? Ah, well, I uh, again appreciate the opportunity to play yet yet another gem sure. tonight, and uh, I'm enjoying this. And uh, since we spoke, you know, extensively about their impact. Uh, we're going to go with a Soundgarden tune. Gotcha. Uh, a song called Spoonman. Nice, an all-time classic. 
All right, so I tell you what, folks, let's do it again. We're going to spin this little tune for you. And not only when we come back do we have more things and stuff, but we're switching gears because now it's time for another crowd favorite, the Piece of Shit of the Year <laughs> Award. Well, really, my personal favorite, as well as the first annual Good Guy Award. Very nice. But first, relax and soak yourself in the sounds of Sound Garden.
that takes me back. It takes me back. Where's it take you back to? Uh, early 1990s. Ooh, yeah, a target-rich yes, environment that yes. was. Yes, back, uh, <laughs> back in the days in, in <laughs> Southern California. Oof. Yeah, and uh, that, of course, was Spoonman by Soundgarden. That was uh, on their uh, 1994 uh, album, Super Unknown. Mm. And it was actually, actually inspired by a real person, uh, somebody named Artist the Spoonman, who was a street performer in Santa Cruz, inspired Chris Cornell to write those lyrics and the band to write that song. So there you go. It has its roots in reality. And I find it immensely entertaining that at that same time, we could have been listening to the same song on exact opposite coasts of the United States. Because yeah, yeah. I was on the East Coast in the uh, whereabouts of Atlantic City. Uh-huh. And I used to go to this one bar uh, there on the shore. Um, ironically called the Beach Bar, if you can imagine that. Mm, it was on the beach. Creative, right. creative, yeah. <laughs> nice red submarine lighting on the inside. <laughs> stuff. The, the perfect dive for any occasion. There we go. Uh, and its, it's claim to fame was the owner, a very, very nice gentleman that, that owned it. Uh, was elderly and he um, he was a, a prize fighter and it okay. had taken a lot of damage. Oh, and okay. his son would always be there tending bar, rinsing his glass, looking at him like, "When are you gonna die, old man?" <laughs> so I could sell this place and live my dreams. Get the fuck out of here! Yeah, right? really. And the old man would come over and he never bothered anybody. He'd come tell a story and this that. And yeah. The guy was like, "I'm just so sorry." He was like, he was embarrassed of him, but we just. Didn't think anything of it. No you know? kidding. Yeah. But yeah, like here you would be in, in, in sunny LA with palm trees and shit. <laughs> and I'm out with, with the horse flies and horseshoe crabs on the Jersey Shore. Back in the day. Having conversations with demented <laughs> individuals. <laughs> Oof. Nothing's really changed, though. Oh, nothing's I'm changed. telling you. I'm telling you. There's, there's always always demented individuals. Yes. Yeah. And they're always, always looking to bend your ear, too. Ain't Indeed. that something? Indeed. So uh, moving right along. Moving right along. To a segment <laughs> that, uh, that is, a, is a personal favorite of both you and and I, Oof. And, uh, and something that we look forward to getting to uh, over the yes. course of the year. My favorite and, uh, award of, of the year, hands yes, down. And, and I think this is, this is unique to Big Boom Radio, I believe. At least officially. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it is, of course, the, uh, the now the third annual Piece of Shit of the Year Award. hey Yes, handed out by a, uh, a, a panel of judges. No, I'm kidding. It's just us mm-hmm. and our own stupid opinions. And never a shortage of qualifiers. Never, never a shortage of qualifiers. <laughs> so I will go first, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proceed my choice with uh, telling everybody out there in Radioland, Michael Shorten Lee totally disagrees <laughs> with this choice. <laughs> And that's what makes it amazing and fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's the stuff that makes for horse races. Folks. All right. So here and we this go. this is one and of the things that makes this, this podcast very unique, I must say. What's because, that? Well, per Because there's still on the air? Well, yeah. And we're not well, getting that, big dick? That too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, per conventional wisdom, you and I should not be getting along. We should not be having True. fun with this kind of thing. True. We should be beating each other over the head with chairs. Yep. But, uh, but we don't do that here at Big Boom Radio. Just because we're too lazy. No. Really. No. <laughs> We have a little fun, we have a few drinks, we play some good music, and then we do the Piece of Shit of the Year Award. Right. Yes. And he'll just give me an angry look, but it, it should just <laughs> stop at that. Let's see what happens. So Let's hear it, Johnny. A brief drum roll. Oh, there it is. See, I almost didn't even have to cue that up. Very good, very good. Okay. And for my selection as the Piece of Shit of the Year 2021, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Oh, oh the crowd. Oh, the crowd's making. Thank you, Thank you, do, do tell, John. <laughs> do tell. Well, it's as simple as this, my friend. Okay. Um, I am not anti-science. I'm not anti-vaccine. I am, however, anti-showboat. Okay. 
and it is just this one humble man's opinion that over the course of shit, two years now, Dr. Fauci has positioned himself willingly as the spokesperson of modern science and its efforts to eradicate this, uh, the COVID-19 problem. I see uh, Professor Snoop looked at me funny when I said that. He Eradicate did, the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Damn, he's creepy. Yeah. Um, but but look, here, here's him. the thing. Um, I cannot put a word on how, I, how badly I feel for the mom-and-pop businesses across this great country of ours that are no longer in existence because of the policies and procedures set forth by the, the Council of Scientific Brainiacs led by Dr. Fauci, who, even if they had done these things out of uh, common sense or best-case scenarios or what they typically do in these circumstances, the, um, the fault lies with them But that none of these things did anything to really retard the progress of the COVID-19 because it's pandemic. continued to stick around, it yeah. continued to evolve, it destroyed our economy. So I'm, I'm actually giving the politicians a free pass on this yeah. because, yeah, they're, they're spineless. We know that. Yeah, okay? that's a given. I yeah. don't expect a learned doctor with his reputation to also just be spineless and realize that once he was going along down this path, it's time to hand off the baton. As I've said before, there's talented scientists and immunologists all over the world, Okay. Whoever's in charge of this effort doesn't need to be a good old guy from Brooklyn. Hey, from the corner, it's Dr. Fauci. Get me cannoli. Hey. People Magazine voting him sexiest man alive. Did they? Yes. Oh, my God. All of this farce. I mean, they even had Brad Pitt play him on SNL. And, I, and, and I remember that. that happened. Yep, yep. And it's, you know, it's as simple as this. If you don't know, you don't know. And in the interest of transparency... I think I could have swallowed a lot of the bitter pills that came out of the government's response to COVID-19 if maybe they prefaced it with research indicates or our best case scenario is or given multiple options, we think this one makes the most sense. Tell us shit like that. Don't preface it with, well, because I'm the one that's a scientist and I've got the document on the wall that says I've got the education, this is what we're going to do. And they were, they've been very heavy-handed and almost smug with their approach to the whole thing. And yes, it started with Trump because he was on his panel and he stuck around with Biden and he's just, you know, the highest paid non-government employee working for the government still to this day is Dr. Fauci. And yet here we are still dealing with the residual aftermath. And to circle back to the beginning, the reason I'm voting him in is because it goes back to the point of people saying, do the times make the man or does the man make the times? Mm -hmm. The times had the opportunity to make this man to something more. And he was very much in love with that concept, but never delivered. Okay. Right. And I'm sorry, but that's unforgivable. And then looking at the aftermath, they're now able to look at certain states that had these lax restrictions, uh, Florida, Texas, with a 10% lower fatality rate than any of the, let's, I hate blue and red, than the blue states, New York, especially up here in New England, where there were almost Gestapo-like in, you know, it, it, curtailing everybody's behavior. And as a business owner, trust me when I tell you, I won't say which state, 
but one of them up here in New England was literally up our ass every other day checking to make sure, is this in place? Do you have this verbiage posted? How many um, sanitation stations are in place? You know, we're going to shut you down if this isn't done and that isn't done. And it's like, seriously, this is the best you can do is, is a crackdown? How about some genuine, oh, I don't know, a- a- assistance, okay? Mm, yeah. And yeah, it hasn't been that long that I've forgotten that everybody kind of had their head up their ass because we haven't encountered anything like this since the, the flu of, of 1918. Right. But this is why people that are much smarter than me go to these colleges and get these degrees. And man, I hope we don't see something like this for a very long time. Well, I'm in agreement with you on that one. You know, and, and again, and I'd like to stress this because I think this is our unique uh, niche is I may not agree with you, but I will take a bullet for your right to have your opinion. Thanks, and, buddy. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, you know, we differ on opinions, we differ on perspectives, but then we have a drink and we play some music and we move forward and it's all good. You know? So, uh, again, you know, I... I not necessarily in agreement with you on that one, Johnny, but it's your right to have that opinion, and I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Let's have another fucking drink, shall we? All right, coward, what's your choice? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny. There's more often than not, um, and this is one of the unique aspects of our friendship and our relationship. See, folks, he already knows that I'm going to agree with his. We're, we're <laughs> this is so unbalanced. Because we have talked about this <laughs> to, to a great extent. Um, that, you know, Johnny's more critical of the right. I'm more critical of the left. We frequently do that only because the people on the right do exactly what I expect them to do. And it's the people on the left, you know, my people, um, that I hold up to a higher standard and will be the first to fucking scream when they do not live up to it. Uh, as much as I tried to get around this, uh, for obvious reasons, my uh, piece of shit of the year uh, inductee, if you will, is former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's one of your piece. Yeah. This guy was the governor of New York, obviously, and one of the most powerful Democratic politicians in the country mm-hmm. before he went down under a shitstorm of sexual harassment and hostile workplace accusations. Um, an investigation by the New York Attorney General's office found that he did harass uh, 11 different women. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a criminal investigation, mind you. Um, this was a guy who was the troubadour of uh, COVID warriors, if you will. He was mm-hmm. initially lauded for his handling of the COVID pandemic in New York. And that turned into a federal inge- investigation. Don't forget Again. about his Emmy. Oh, fuck, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's just more salt in the wound. <laughs> but, uh, yes, this turned into a federal investigation after it was discovered that his administration covered up info pertaining to the number of COVID-19 deaths among nursing home residents in New York. Uh-oh. And, and just, just to throw icing on the fucking cake... This idiot took his brother down with him, Chris Cuomo, who uh-huh. was with CNN. It was discovered that AKA behind the Fredo. Fredo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was discovered that behind the scenes, Chris was, of course, trying to help his brother out. And I don't, I don't fault him for that. Yeah, that's know? a catch-22. Yeah, I mean, if it's your brother, it's family, you're going to try. But he went about it in a very unethical manner. Yeah. You know, why didn't he just take a leave of absence? And, you know, at the end of the day, Andrew's the big brother. Andrew's responsible for this. True. And, yeah, that was pretty much what put it over the top for me, was not only did he fuck this all up, but he took his brother down with him. Mm-hmm. So, 
Andrew Cuomo, you are the piece of shit of the year as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Congratulations. like that and uh, agree fuck. with you. Yeah, just the, un- I mean, brought low by even by Greek tragedy standards. I, know, I, I mean, know. And an embarrassment to those yeah. of us on the left. And a, no redeeming qualities. That's why it's not a Greek tragedy. The epitome of arrogance. Yes. The epitome. Hubris. When, when all of this, yeah, hubris, which is the classic, classic downfall <laughs> of your, your, your uh, Greek tragedies. Yep. You know, and, and as much as I hate to, you know, like I said, throw shade on people on my side of the fence, you know, we had expectations and you failed miserably. Miserably. Because you would have thought, man, he was on his way to higher office after that Emmy. Oh, man. And then the the book tour, and it's just like, woof, out of control. And it turned out that you were an arrogant prick. Right. You know, and I mean, how low does it... Just between the the body count of of the old people that he shipped off to die. Yeah. And And then the grab ass, which at this point, we're so numb to it, you assume there's got to be some level of of grab ass going on over there. Yeah. But the fact that they made light of it, him and his brother, with the the terms like Cuomosexuals and the love gov and all this other shit. Oh, God. Wow. Just, yeah. Just fucking go away. (laughs) Just go away. You know? I'm sorry, but I, I hold our side to a higher standard than that. And, and again, Governor, yep. you failed miserably, so fuck off. We wouldn't have seen uh, Hillary Clinton do that. Well, at least we wouldn't have seen any <laughs> witnesses come forward about it. <laughs> come on now. Let's not go there. Chick-chack, boom. <laughs> all right. So, so pivoting, because pivoting. We're, we're, not, we're not all about negativity here no, at not Rips and Rants and Big Boom Radio. <laughs> um, though I, I, I strongly doubt we're going to get much much support for this one outside of New England. Right. Well, but now it's, it's you know our solidarity versus... The listening audience, basically, because we're, we're circling the wagons on this. We're one, circling folks. the wagons on this one, but we are we are firm in our belief that this individual is deserving, um, and, and kind of a lifetime achievement kind of way. Very much so. of our first annual Good Guy Award, and yes, it's implied Good Guy or Gal, <laughs> all right? Just stop, yeah, asterisk, stop it. Yeah, thank you, thank you, John. So, you, sir, why don't you just uh, take the thunder on this one and announce uh, well, the first our annual, selection. Uh, the first annual uh, Riffs and Rants uh, Good Guy of the Year Award very deservedly goes out to now-retired professional uh, football uh, icon, legend, no matter what you want to call him, it, it probably doesn't fit. Uh, but, yeah, you can probably guess who it was by now. Uh, we're going with Tom Brady. Yes, we are. And it was one of those things that... Well, there was just an in, in and As I said previously, it's, it's a lifetime or a two-year's worth of positive impact on this New England region. These five states up here yep. um, coming on board as a nobody and just through hard work, dedication, discipline. You know, those little factors that are so just yeah. often not found yeah. in people anymore. Yeah. And I'll be the first person to say that, yes, he was paid handsomely for, for doing this, but right. a lot of people were paid handsomely for doing this kind of thing, for playing professional sports. And most of and them tend to balk at their contract when yeah. they feel like they're not getting up. Here's a guy that year after year took a he hometown def- discount yeah, he deferred. to make the team better and yeah. to put the money in, in more important places. So, yeah. Are you and ready? After 20 Let's plus go! years, I never caught him outside of Miami nightclub at 2 a.m. Right. with a dead body on the floor. <laughs> you know, he was never that guy in or that situation. Or on somebody's cheesy yacht the night before a playoff game and then mm-hmm. mail in a shitty performance and be like, oh, I don't know what happened. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, first one to get to the practice area, the, the last one to leave. Yeah. Year he, in, year out. He set the bar. He set the bar very, very high and invited people 
to come along with him. And he right. took. So he was one of those one of those guys. And you know, there are people in in professional sports. There are people in life that do this. They elevate everyone around them. They do. You know, they challenge everyone around them to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. You know, and we were yeah you know, again talking about this pre-show. Um, I was a Patriot fan for 25 years prior to Tom Brady arriving in New England, and this organization sucked. Oh, it's horrible. They were losers. <laughs> you know, every every bad. Uh, scenario you could imagine the Patriots fit right in. You know they had yep. the scandal of the female reporter being with, uh, Irving Fryer, I think it was. Was like, it? Was it Irving Fryer? I don't I think it was, was Irving Fryer, but it was it was somebody around that time. Yeah, it just showed the old uh, the Fontanelle to um, yeah in the locker room. The ESPN reporter with yeah. the red hair. I forget yeah, her name too. That, I, I believe they were the first. Uh, profession. They were definitely the first professional football organization, if not the first professional sports organization, to fire a winning coach mm -hmm. um, because he got into a pissing contest with uh, the head of personnel, who was the owner's son. Yeah. I mean, the owners were shit. The coaches were shit. You know, I mean, I have fond memories of guys like Steve Grogan and Sam Cunningham sure, sure. that you know tried to excel under these circumstances in that god awful, shitty concrete block of the stadium that they had uh, in Foxborough. You know, I mean, this was a terrible... We got a first-round draft pick like Jim Plunkett. Really can't do anything with him. Yeah. He goes to the Raiders, he takes him to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they, That's uh, really all you need to know about the old-time Patriots. That says, it, that says it in a nutshell, you know. And then this guy comes along. And granted, it wasn't just him. You know, we had a new owner in Bob Kraft and sure, whatnot. Sure, sure. But... Lightning in a bottle. Yeah, but, but Brady was the face of a brand-new era. Yes. For this franchise um, and for this region, quite honestly. And a different kind of athlete. Because yeah. during his long career, I mean, you could maybe use an example like Derek Jeter. I mean, the closest yeah. to modeling the way the way Tom Brady did. Never yeah. got in any kind of discernible trouble. And when the NFL was tired of him winning all the time, they trumped up this, this bullshit deflate gate nonsense. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on, seriously? Yeah. Look, even as fans, we were tired of going to the Super Bowl. You know? <laughs> it was, well, it was tough it, watching a Pats game, like your neck. It's like watching a tennis match the way we were running up and down the field oh, on people. I know. It was absurd. 2007 was the epitome of it. Yeah. I still can't believe that the NFL allowed Randy Moss <laughs> to come to this team with this quarterback. Because they probably thought he would be a cancer like he was at the other clubs. Yeah, and they responded with an undefeated season. Right. Undefeated. Set the bar high, you know. And, yeah, you know, speaking with Derek Jeter, it's funny that you bring that up because, you know, here in Boston, until he retired, we weren't big fans of Derek Jeter. Mm -hmm. But when he did retire, um, and this is a point of pride uh, as a Red Sox fan that I am, we gave Derek, Derek Jeter his due as, right. as a professional um, and as, a, as a, just an, an, an icon and an example. A respected nemesis. Yeah, and I hope, now that Tom Brady is retired, that the people outside of New England will give him his due right. for the accomplishments that you know, he made in the course of his 20-plus years mm -hmm. of playing in the NFL. And I if not, he, they can go shit in their hat. I'm yeah. looking at you, entire city of Philadelphia. Yeah, fuck them, you know? <laughs> This guy set the bar high and challenged everybody to meet him. Right. You know, up there. Yeah. Um, and so there you go. That's that's the history of Tom Brady. That's why I think he's very, very deserving in getting the first Big Bloom Radio uh, award for what are we what are we officially calling this John? It's the good guy award. The good guy award. Yeah, nothing flashy. Yeah, because yeah. I think Tom Brady's the epitome <laughs> of a good guy. And you know, married a supermodel, props to you, Tom. Yep. Props to you. 
Yep. Good for you, kid. And there you have it. Those are our big... Uh, the, that really wraps up our awards segment of the program. And, uh, you know, before we talk about, like, closing out, I was going to surprise you with this, Michael. <laughs> okay. Um, because I wanted to, and that's why I've invited everybody here. And it's, you know, I'm looking around. I was having a good time and yeah, everything. everybody's getting Especially because we didn't get to have a uh, Christmas party, per se. I think Connor and Sir Nigel smoked the fern in the front front hall. Oh, the, the less I, I know, just, the better, man. Yeah, the less I know, probably, the better. Probably. But uh, what I was able to do before you got here, and these guys had already gotten here, we're hitting the liquor. Yeah. Um, similar to like you do at a wedding, uh, I just went over to him, I gave him the, the microphone, <laughs> like, here guys. Oh boy, and, here we go. You know, just give us a couple words, because it's, you know, the 100th episode is, is a big thing. It is. They've it all is. appeared on here in one form or another. Yeah. Even that, that, that fucking weird IT guy that hates Asians. Yeah. yeah. What, who was that? Andy? Back Back a lack back of some damn view, thing. View track. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever the hell his name is. But yeah, oh, he was here. He already left. He, he, got, he oh, came oh, for the free okay. food and he left. Piece yeah, of shit that he that is. Sounds about right. But yeah. uh, no, I, I got all the other regulars. So we're going to play that <laughs> for the folks right now. Enjoy the well wishes because it is quite the accomplishment. And uh, we'll be right back after this to kind of close things out. Yes, I'm back. Hey, John James Bump is in full effect. Hey, boys. Chula McBride here. Happy 100th episode, fellas. I suppose I can even be happy for Michael Sean Lee, that womanizing piece of shit. Call me. I forgive you. No, really, I love you guys, and here's to another 100 episodes of Riffs and Rants. Cheers. Salutations and congratulations, mates, on episode 100. Who would have thought that from such humble beginnings would rise a podcast featuring two nobodies talking about nothing in particular to a worldwide audience? I was in a pub last week, and a wanker I was talking to had actually heard of you. Unbelievable. Cheers, governors. Good evening, Johnny and Michael, and uh, happy 100 episodes of Riffs and Vrants. I have I've had pleasure being on your show, and I wish you uh, many more episodes to to bring the knowledge uh, to the people and um, and celebrate what, what what you have done. Uh, congratulations, Alvizesen. And I, I'm going to have another shot of Jaeger now. Yes, yes. Good luck to you. Bye-bye. Hey, your lordships. Just wanted to say thank you so much for this wonderful party we've been having here. And to you, Michael Sean Lee, Mr. I'm a Mr. Irishman. Ah, you tosser. Take a bite of me lucky charms right here, you bastard. No, no offense, Mr. Johnny. Thank you so much. I'm going to have me another pint now because I'm going for the... the, the oh, I, I feel sorry. What oh, an eclectic man. cast of characters. You know, and my dad would always say to me, very demure, shy man, man that he is, yeah. you, know, you know, Johnny, at, at every wedding, there's always one fucking loud guy. <laughs> and we've managed to assemble them all here. And, we got and, them all. And put them on the payroll. It's, it's just magical. Nice. Magical. Nice. So, yeah, so thanks to oh, all of them. Wow. Uh, yeah, with their, their little pearls of wisdom. Uh, especially Professor Snoop, we hope to hear from him soon in yeah, a segment yeah, on another yeah, we're episode. For, we're due for a Snoop segment, Oof. definitely, definitely. What a crew! Uh, <laughs> one more time, Johnny. Congratulations on the hundred episodes. And you too, sir. And We've uh, been uh, through thick and thin with this shit yeah. and making it work somehow. Well, thank you for inviting me along on this uh, this long, strange trip. It You're is very been welcome. A, been an interesting, interesting experience, and uh, I'm sure going forward it will be. Exactly that, if not more so. <laughs> Definitely more so. And a, a special thank you to our listeners. Yeah, uh, we got all these new little like uh, pin marks on the big map, hot um, spots around the world. Yes, Dusseldorf. Welcome to the party. Yeah. 
San Jose, welcome to the party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that one we saw up in I think we do, Washington? Ed, Edinburgh, Scotland, I think. Yep, yep. Edinburgh, yeah, they're there yeah. too. And and somewhere in Washington State. Were, yeah, were, like a town. I don't remember what name it was. In. Like on the border in the middle yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> but shout out to you guys. Thanks for joining the party. Yep. And every place in between, Utah, Kansas City, Dallas becoming a hotbed of we listeners got, now. We got, we got some folks in Big Dallas. Big D has Dallas, joined Fort the party. Worth. There right? we go. There we go. I, I think Florida's underperforming, but... That's Florida. It's you know? Florida. Yeah. We, we don't want their fans even reaching out to us. <laughs> Just talk about Florida, man. Oh, boy. Good thing we're undisclosed location stuff. This is also true. All right. So, again, thank you so much, everybody, for being along for this magical ride on our 100th episode. Wow. Just wow. never gets old saying that. I'm telling you. And as always, I am Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side.